0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians 6, we're just going to read two verses today. We're finally out of the fruits of the Spirit. You don't have to think about those ever again. Just kidding. All right. Now we've wrapped up the Fruits of the Spirit, but we're, today we're going to wrap up uh, a broken bone, some broken bones. Uh, because today we're going to talk about orthopedic surgery. That's the topic of discussion, spiritually speaking, literally. <laughs> uh, but literally speaking, for, for orthopedic surgery, there's a lot of bones in the body. You know, I think there's, there's, we're born with 270 bones when we're children but those fuse together into adulthood to 206 to 213 and we usually think of those bones as static you know like hard brittle objects that all the rest of the organs and the 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 muscle and the fat which we have a few more pounds of this week probably, they kind of fuse to. But in reality, a bone actually functions as an organ and organs have multiple functions and so do bones. One article noted that besides providing shape to the human body, they permit movement, motor capability, they protect vital organs, they facilitate breathing, and they produce a variety of cells in the marrow critical for survival. Bones are continually undergoing structural and biological change and remodeling of bone continues throughout life based on the demands placed upon them. And we have all kinds of bones in our bodies. We have weak bones like the one in the ear. It's small, it's weak, easy to break, but without it, we couldn't hear well. We have stronger bones like the femur that can withstand tons of pressure before it fractures. You know, bones can enlarge, they can become smaller, they can grow stronger or weaker, and they can definitely break when they're subjected to applications of excessive force. When bones are damaged, they're one of the few organs in all the body that can regenerate without an obvious scar. And our lives are like bones. They can be broken. And they need mending. The scripture has a lot to say about bones. Bones were used in creation of human life. When God made woman, He made him made her from the bone of man in Genesis 2 23. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. And bones are involved in every birth, really. Ecclesiastes eleven five says, As you uh, do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. Like, how does God form those bones in her womb? So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. Bones are involved in prophecy. Remember, God uh, made the valley of dry bones come to life in uh, Ezekiel 37. Not a single bone of Christ was broken to fulfill prophecy in John nineteen thirty-six. Bones are part of God's judgment against our enemies. Psalm 53 verse 5, for God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. Bones are also God's judgment against us or his sinful people. Ezekiel 6, 5 says, and I will lay the dead bodies of the people of Israel before their idols and I will scatter your bones around your altars. Bones are also used in worship. Psalm 35, verse 10 All my bones shall say, O oh Lord, who is like you? Bones are part of soul health. Proverbs 13, uh, 15, verse 30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Someone said there's four types of bones in the church <laughs> there's wish bones, who, who spend their time wishing someone would get the work done, there's jaw bones, who spend all their time talking about it, uh, someone else getting it done. And then there's knuckle bones who knock everything that anyone else is trying to do. And then there's the backbones who actually shoulder the load and bear the majority of the burden. But they left out one. There's a fifth one, and it's broken bones that need healing in the church. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about today in Galatians chapter six, verses one and two. So why don't we stand back up and read these two verses together? Get your calisthenics in. Galatians six, verse one and two. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I want to ask Anna Hudson to come and ask God's blessings on the message today. Anna. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you today thankful for this holiday season, being able to spend time with friends and family, the safe travels that I hope everyone had. Uh, We are thankful that we got up this morning and came to church. And we are thankful for the message we are about to hear from Wint. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Paul closes out Galatians 5.25 uh, with plural pronouns. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited. A lot of plural pronouns. But then he shifts back to the singular responsibilities. He says, brothers, if anyone's caught any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. So there's a very kind of dual responsibility in these two verses. We're responsible for restoring others and we're responsible for our own sin. And just so this message kind of rings a little more realistic in your lives, I want you to think of two or three names right now. And I know you can. Think of two or three names of people who were once close to Christ and now they're very far from them. You have those, you're thinking of names. I'm not talking about in a judgmental way like you think you're better. You may be thinking of your own name. (laughs) But think of those names. And throughout this message, I want you to just... Let their name come to your mind as you hear this message. And I want to begin today with my obligation. My obligation, and I said my because it is literally mine and your obligation. We're familiar with the expression, much obliged. It's another way of saying, you know, thank you very, very much, much obliged. But you know that the word obliged appeared originally in English in the 1300s. And it it meant binding someone to their debt. Right, So when we say much obliged, we're actually saying we're indebted to you, we're thankful, we're grateful, we're appreciative. It comes from a Latin word, obligo, which means bound in obligation. And believers have an individual obligation, and Paul mentions that obligation in Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. So the first question everybody's got to ask is, well, who, in the, who does this mean? Right? Who exactly should restore the sinner? Well, it says, you who are spiritual. So who in the world <laughs> is spiritual? Y'all look at your neighbor and say, You don't look that spiritual to me. Go on. If y'all don't. Y'all some of y'all look a little better, but I mean most of y'all. Do you know in church history there was a guy named Simeon the Stylite. He was the first of of the so-called Desert Fathers. And they called him Desert Fathers for a reason, because uh, around A.D. 423, Simeon made a pillar on the edge of the Syrian desert, a big pillar with a platform on top. He crawled to the top of it, and he lived on it for six years. Now, someone had to have been bringing him his supplies. He had tons of visitors to his little desert pole, perch. All right, some people probably just come to see if the guy was crazy. But he said, no, no, I'm not crazy. I'm just a Christian who wants to commune with God in solitude, free from all these worldly distractions. So living on top of a pole in the desert was his way of separating himself from, you know, from sin and kind of consecrating himself to God. But is that what it means to be spiritual? Simeon thought it would be more spiritual in the desert than you could be in the city. He thought it's more spiritual high off the ground than it would be on the ground. But was he right about what it means to be spiritual? Lots of people want to be spiritual. (laughs) Or at least they want to appear spiritual, right? But no one defines it. Is it a a traveling hippie smoking pot at a Hindu temple in India? Seen plenty of those. You know, they're just trying to find themselves, right? Is it a monk on a mountaintop? What, is, what does it mean to be spiritual? In reality, being spiritual is a lot easier than being religious because there are no rules, right? Sociologist Robert Wuthnow said, growing numbers of Americans piece together their faith like a patchwork quilt. Spirituality has become a vastly complex quest in which each person seeks in his or her own way. They don't know what they're seeking, but they're, they ain't finding much, right? And even sound Christians differ on the meaning of spirituality. What does it mean to be spiritual? Is, is being spiritual quiet acts of personal devotion to God like fasting or praying in private, retreats, uh, quiet times, devotions, you know? All of those are good things, by the way. I'm not knocking those things. For others, it's, it's what we do in public. It's the gathering of the church body, public worship, public, you know, giving together, pulling our financial resources together to give to others. Some people think it's uh, spiritual experiences like like a healing, right? Or a prophecy spoken over them. That's, that's how they think of it, these one time, these, these big, big idea moments. But the inspired word of Galatians explains that one who is spiritual is not based on man-made parameters or disciplines. Not that those are bad. But a spiritual life, and let me just say, even though it's nurtured by Bible study and fellowship and gathering as a church and all those things, The life part of it is from the Holy Spirit. It's not manufactured rigidness, right, of our own disciplined morality. Paul's not trying to brag on spiritual people, you who are spiritual. He's not being sarcastic either. He's just noting the criteria for what it means to be spiritual. He's not calling on spiritual people. He's saying spiritual people do these things, the fruit of the Spirit had just been given, all these fruits of the Spirit, nine things. But what do we do with those, right? Should we climb on top of a pole in a desert to discover spirituality? The life of the Spirit is given for service to others. It's not a hidden tree in some secluded garden, you know, that we're guarding behind a gate. It's, public, it's a public tree full of fruit. And so in Galatians 6, Paul picks some of that fruit, public fruit, and he begins to share it by teaching that the way to be truly spiritual is to be, as Riken puts it, one-anothering each other. We one-another each other. He gives four of these, Paul does. Spiritual people restore one another from sin. That's Galatians 6.1. They bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. They consider others more important, Galatians 6, 3 through 5. And they share with one another, Galatians 6, 6. We're going to cover two of those today. So being spiritual means, first of all, restoring one another from sin. And I I want you all to catch this. Out of all the things that Paul could have led with just after sharing all the wickedness of the world that involved orgies and sexual sins of every kind, then he gives all the fruits of the Spirit... And then the first real application of all of that, I would have thought it was something different. But here he says, it's to restore. The first fruit that he mentions is restoration. So we know that those who are spiritual are those who restore one another and bear one another's burdens. You want to be spiritual? you got to be about those two things. But the second question is, what does that mean? right? The word restore is actually a medical term that means, and here's where our title of our sermon comes from, the bone doctor, right? It's a medical term. It means to set a bone, a set a broken bone. The word restore means to set a broken bone. Every Christian may not be an orthopedic surgeon, but we're all bone doctors and not the breaking kind, (laughs) the restoring kind. It means to strengthen, perfect, complete, make one what he ought to be, in Galatians 6.1, it's used of one who, by correction, may be brought back into the right way. Linguistic, he says, catarizo, uh, which is the word for restore, is used in other contexts of the strengthening or sustaining of a worn down people and a fisherman mending their nets. And I don't think Paul's talking about restoring unbelievers. And I want to be clear on that today. right, he says brothers, so he's speaking to Christians, and I believe he's speaking about unbelievers who have fallen away, because unbelievers can't be caught in sin. They're already living in sin. (laughs) The Bible says he who believes not is condemned already. Every act of an unbeliever is sinful because it's not done in faith to the only Son of God. I believe he's talking to Christians. But Paul here is addressing the churches. So he's saying before Christ we ran to sin and now as believers we are supposed to run from it. But sometimes sin catches up to us and overtakes us. That's why the word caught is there. It conveys the idea of being overtaken. Galatians 6, 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. So there's an element of unexpectedness. This isn't talking about sins of habitual addiction. This is talking about sins we get caught in. Moral failures were caught in, which by the way, are overwhelming and embarrassing. And we need to watch ourselves. And I'll never forget uh, when I was a kid, my dad had this old 100 pound 10 speed. It really wasn't a 10 speed, I'm just trying to get you to picture the bike. It had one speed, but it looked like a 10 speed. All right, it weighed twice my body weight and i couldn't even touch the pedals you know i had to had the bar there and i had to like get on the curb you know with one foot on the curb just to get this thing going and i would get going down the street it took me forever to get it up to speed because it only had one gear sears and roebuck boom black i was black silver. it had it didn't have the curly bars those weren't until the 80s this one's one of those side so i'm pedaling this thing my 65 pound self down the street and i turn around you know if you feel like you're turning around a hog, Harley or something on the street. And I turn this thing around and I start pedaling back home. And there's a bunch of older kids in, the dry, in their yard playing. And one of them mouthed off to me, which obviously, man, I should say something back. <laughs> so I was like, yo, mama. <laughs> I don't know what he said to me, but... Yo, mama, that was a good reply for anything in the 80s. So, or this, I don't even remember if maybe it was in the late 70s. But anyway, so this guy turned into Usain Bolt. And I'm, and that guy's chasing me down. He caught up with me three houses later and tackled me in my neighbor's front yard. You know, made me stronger today. And, my, and I've never had a smart aleck since. I'm just kidding. I'm going to find that guy. I'm going to look him up on Facebook and see if I'm bigger than him now. Show him. Find his house. Just kidding. We're obliged because restore the word restore. Actually, it's in the imperative tense, so it, it's a command. Not, you know, what if you had an opportunity to do it, you should do it. No, it's you're going to do it. You should do it. Not, <laughs> this is a command from God, and we've all been caught outside the will of God at some point in our lives. And it may not have the the cancer made out of metastasized and broken out of the organ and spread through the whole body so that everybody knew it, but we have them. They may may have been contained to our little household, but we have been away from God. And I just want to say to you, friend, there's someone right now who may desperately need you to help restore them. And I'm not talking about some fanciful New Year's resolution. I'm talking about right now, one of the names that you just thought of just a moment ago. And you need to start praying and looking for opportunities to possibly use for God to use you in their lives to restore them. First is my obligation. Second is their configuration. And I'm talking about the setting of the bone. You got to set the bone correctly. I went to school with a girl named Kim. She fell when she was, she was a few years older than me and she, she had fallen. I only knew her uh, after this accident happened. She had fallen, broken her arm. The doctor misconfigured the setting of the bone and gangrene set up in her arm and they had to amputate it. She won a lawsuit and all this stuff, but she became an incredible basketball player for Bartlett. She's a high school basketball player in in Bartlett. She'd shoot three-pointers, she'd kill three-pointers. But she won the suit, of course, and it's because the setting of a bone is critical, right? You gotta do it right. The configuration, the screws, the pins, everything has to be in the right place for the healing to take place. It's It's just a small difference between healing or an amputation. Or infections that could even lead to death. There's a right way to restore a brother or sister, and then, and the first way is clear. It's gentle, gently. Galatians six one. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, Vicky, don't hate me for this, but when we were on a cruise one time, Vicky and I, we we were in a karaoke club, and uh, you know, I was getting. I'm just kidding. Uh, she sings. She's the singer. So she was up at the karaoke uh, mic, and this wasn't like some darkened, drunken bar. I was the only one drunk that day, and um, I just seen if y'all are awake. I'm just testing you. And you know, but there were people at the bar, and she was singing karaoke. And she met. She missed a note or something or was off. Please love me, honey. And um, and she and it was so incredible. I was sitting over to the side, and that whole everybody that was sitting up there at the bar, none of them which were publicly drunk they all turned around and they just began to cheer her on i don't know if she missed a note or whatever like, you can do it you've got this girl and just for a moment i felt ashamed of church that more love can come from a bar than from people in church more encouragement there's a great pastor name was w.a chriswell W.J. Criswell said if he ever fell into sin, he'd rather fall into the hands of a bartender than a critical pharisaical church member. We should have hearts that are such that our gentleness is so recognizable, people want us to be the ones to set their broken bone because they know we don't think we're better than them. We're right there in the ditch with them. We've had broken bones before, right? And we've seen them heal and we'll walk with you while yours heal. I want to give you four things broken, bone, broken bones don't need. Number one, they don't need speech or spiel. Here's my thoughts on your wickedness. Oh, thank you so much. I didn't know, right? To them, we're just a cold speech or a soapbox spiel. The speech isn't so much for the purpose of helping the break to heal. It's just so we can tell them what they should have done to avoid the break in the first place. Aren't we kind? I don't care enough to help, but at least I care enough to tell you face-to-face all that's wrong with you. <laughs> Number two, a broken bone doesn't need slight or shun. You know what? You're not worth the effort. To them, all they see is us ignoring their obvious problems. I saw the break, probably saw it coming, but you probably should have warned you, but you know, I can't engage at this point because it could cost me time and resources. You know, I'm not much on those things. So I'll just slight you, I'll just shun you, I'll just step over you on my way to another friendship. And let me just say here, some people have been good friends, faithful friends, and they get accused of shunning. When they tried, they, it was never their intention to shun them. They, they, they didn't overlook the sin, they, didn't, they confronted it, you just didn't let them speak into your life, so they moved on, and now you're accusing them of shunning you. Friend you remember that the phone rings both ways Well, you haven't called me. Well, that's funny. You haven't called me either right number three Separation a broken bone doesn't need separation or severing Well, you're beyond all hope Which really if we think someone's beyond all hope and they're still breathing we have no idea of the god we worship You're saying you're god They're a lost cause to them, all they feel is our separation. Now, again, their feeling rejected doesn't mean we're doing it, right? But if we display of an, a- an attitude of they'll never change, then we couldn't possibly be praying for them in a proper way or displaying a heart of restoration in their lives. All right. Number four, shattering or shredding. I don't just cut you off. I cut you down. I speak nothing but fruitless gossip over all your wrongdoing. To them, we've become an enemy. And who in the world wants someone that hates them to help reset the bone? We cut off all hope of an opportunity to speak into their lives. Wearsby explains, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism than the way they treat those who have sinned. So, instead of taking them to the woodshed of our own making, we need to be taking them 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness I had a recent outpatient patient surgery and I was very thankful for a seasoned nurse that came in to put my IV in she wasn't one of those you know when I think of people who put IVs in I think of my son's soccer team after a soccer game with those Capri Suns and those straws you know what I mean She wasn't one of those. She wasn't stabbing that thing aimlessly. She was very gentle, and I was very thankful. (laughs) How much more so should we be about a broken bone? The first configuration of restoration is gently. Secondly, it's carefully. Keep watch on yourself, lest you pee, you too be tempted. It's the same idea mentioned in Jude chapter one, verse twenty-two, where it's talking about restoration. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You reach in to pull someone out of the fire, and you can get burned yourself. And I'm not talking about an, an act of of sacrifice. I'm talking about an act of stupidity, where you let you 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 don't do it the right way. I want y'all to look down at your seat. Just look down. Not much left to show. (laughs) Can y'all see your seats? My father-in-law says there's three people in that seat that you're sitting in. There's the person you are right now. There's the person you can become in God's good pleasure. And there's the person you can become in dark depravity. All three of those people are sitting in that same seat. (laughs) So we need to be careful. We could get too involved in a situation, overstep our bounds, add fuel to a fire instead of putting it out. You can become blinded to the full truth of a situation. You can even become too emotionally or physically engaged so that you're you're becoming controlling. And by the way, you married folks, there is no reason you need to be meeting with a person of the opposite sex. I know emerge what about an emergency pastor? Well, you counseling alone or hooking up with an old high school friend is not an emergency. <laughs> so be careful. First Corinthians ten twelve says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Restore gently, restore carefully, and third, restore sacrificially. And this is more than answering a phone at three A. M or giving a friend a ride home. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. And that means taking their pack on our back. And there's a beautiful picture of this in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5-11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to speak it, to, to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Like someone's sin has become exposed, and everyone knows it, and that's enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And that doesn't mean that the person sinned against you, but that there's a public acknowledgement of of forgiveness in your spirit, in the way you come to them. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Verse ten. If I have forgiven anything, it's been for the, for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that he we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. What are his designs? Someone sins, they fail, they fail miserably, and instead of getting back up, they just keep sinning more because you know it's already done. I'm already shamed in the public eye. Why not just say, "Okay, sara, sara." And then the other side of it, the Christians that want to restore instead of restoring or gossiping and just driving them down, giving fuel to their fire for them to go deeper into sin. The word "forbear" is used in a negative sense in Galatians 5.10. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. And that's talking about the negative, that's a negative sense for the Judaizers who are leading the Galatian believers away, right, from grace to the law. But the same word used in a positive sense in this verse, the word bear, bear one another's burdens, means to shoulder a heavy burden as an act of responsibility and care for another. Y'all remember, legalists, they add to the burden and we're supposed to relieve that burden. Acts 15.10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? forgiveness and grace if it's done right it's sacrificial if you don't feel like you've sacrificed then you probably haven't you it it takes something to forgive and give grace and it it's never going to be as as matched you're never going to match christ's grace for us but and let me also add if sin doesn't burden you then you're probably not born again Right there's my obligation. There's res- their restoration, and finally my destination. Galatians six two, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right there's no spirit of restoration without a biblical destination, and that destination is ironically the fulfillment of the law of Christ. <laughs> Who would have known? And what's the law of Christ? We mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's back in uh, Galatians five verse fourteen. The whole law is fulfilled in one word: "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." Restoration is the first destination of the fruit of the spirit that Paul mentions. I would have thought it was sharing the gospel or dying for Christ, but it's restoration. Ephesians four thirty-two through chapter five, verse two says, "Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave." You, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Church, what's your destination? What's your end goal? What's your motivation when you see someone else sin? There's a lot of problems in the church because the people who see the sin don't confront it or say anything about it. And so that it comes, that information comes to second and third parties like me. But I'm not the one that's supposed to be directly rebuking that person. Matthew 18 says you're supposed to do it, you're the one that saw it. You should go do it. And so there's all these indirect, gossipy lines of rebuke going on that aren't the pure gospel truth. You know, it reminds me like if, if my child fell into the deep end of the pool and couldn't swim and they began to drown. And I thought, you know what? I don't know if I can swim that well enough to dive down there and save them. I'm gonna go down and ease into the shallow end, you know, kind of get my sea legs under me, see if I still got it, you know, swim around a little bit. Okay, okay, I'm ready now. I'm gonna go save them. Is that what a parent would do? (laughs) They're, They're diving in whether they can swim or not. So why? Do many of us, many of you, say to yourselves, heck, I ain't about to go restore anybody. I'm the one that needs it. Oh, okay, so you're going to get all your life together first before you start trying to restore another person. You don't want to come across prideful or anything, you know, because you're so sinful too. Well, then good luck. You'll never restore anyone because sanctification is a daily effort. We are daily being sanctified. We sin every day in thought, word, deed, in things we don't do that we should do. And so, when are you going to be perfect enough to restore someone? Never. That's why Paul, wicked, murderous Paul, wrote half the stinking New Testament. Because he knew it. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the primary barriers and breakthroughs that you may need in your life is this right here. The barrier is your lack of bearing another person's burden. You're too busy with your own burden, and you're not seeking someone else's burden to carry Friend, I believe there'd be a lot fewer depressed Christians if they were actively bearing the burdens of others. So, I leave you with this. Can we, church, commit to bear one another up, not in useless gossip, but in comforting the fallen, rebuking the unaware, and restoring people to Jesus? Can we do that? It's a command. It's not my command, it's God's. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask that we would be restorers. If anyone knows what restoration is, it's a Christian (laughs) who's had all his sins or her sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. Repentance and faith. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone here that hasn't repented of their sin, turned from their sin, the things they're trusting to get to heaven, their good works, whatever it is, that they would stop trusting in that and turn and put their faith in you and what you've done on the cross to forgive them. they cry out to you and say, God, I believe it. Forgive me. Save me. If you do that, God will understand it. He'll hear it better than I will. And he'll receive it and save your soul. Give you eternal life, forgiveness, and freedom. And I pray if there's others here that want to make this church their home, that we would obey whatever God's calling us to do today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.